Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osband, here with my friend, Chavruta and Gordon. Our DAP today, Masachat Yavamod, DAP Nun Vav, page 56. So the Gemara gets into an interesting discussion here um, about a Bat Yisrael who marries Kohen and then becomes entitled to eat truma. And the question is, what happens if something impacts the, 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 her husband, the Kohen, where he no longer is allowed to function as a Kohen, does she still have a right to eat truma? And so we are quoted the following verse. Tana Ravanan, Bat Yisrael Pikachat, Shanit Arsa Lekohen Pikeach, Velohi Speak Lekonsa, Ashanit Kharich, Eina Ochelet. Now, we need to explain a little bit some of the terms here that are being used. A Cheresh is generally, we've talked about this many times, um, is, you know, when you read an English translation, it's a deaf mute. But the real idea here is that something happens that renders this person unable to communicate. And that is a sign of sort of that they are not mentally competent anymore. So I wouldn't necessarily call it a person who's deaf, even though you'll see a lot of English translations that say that. It really is more of an issue of mental competency. And so the case here is, is a Bat Yisrael who's mentally competent, right? Who's not mentally disabled in any way, who marries a Kohen who is the same way. And then something happens to the Kohen uh, before she actually, um, uh, before she actually, before he actually fully marries her, right? So maybe like it was in between a Rusin and a Suin, but you know they weren't fully married. And so basically, what we say is a not ochalet. She actually is not allowed to partake in uh, in truma. Okay, so if it's in between a Rusin, that engagement period, and then the Nisuin, which completes the marriage process and something changes to his mental status, she actually is not allowed to partake in truma because he himself is not allowed to partake in truma. No lad labain, but let's say she has a son. Ochelet, then she can, because that son who, you know, has, uh, let's say, typical mental competence, he is entitled to uh, eat truma. And by virtue of that, she is therefore entitled to eat truma. Metabain, let's say the son passes away. Rabbi Natan said she may continue to eat truma, and the rat and say she may not. My time at the Rabbi Natan. What is the reason uh, for for Rabbi Natan? And so the Gemara answers: I'm a Rabbi. Rabbi says because it says because she actually uh, she she ate. So in other words, once she's allowed to eat truma, sort of truma is always allowed for her. Amarlea Bai, so Bai says to Rabba, Elame Ata, right? However, if this is the case, right, Bai Yisrael Shani Sait Le Kohen Umitle, Techel Shekavarachla. What about a case of a Bai Yisrael who marries a Kohen and he dies childless, right? There's no children. She should be allowed to continue to eat Truma, right? But what? But what do we know? Ella Kaven de Mesle, Pekale Kedushe Mine, right? But once he's passed away, it's basically like the Kedushin, right? That whatever extra Kedusha she gets, excuse me, I shouldn't say Kedushin, the, the any Kedusha she gets by being married to a Kohen has basically left. She's now considered just a regular Yisrael and she wouldn't be allowed to eat the Truma. Hachanami, Kevin Demesle, here too, right? When the sun passes away, that extra holiness that she gets that allows her to have truma is taken away and therefore she shouldn't be allowed 
to eat truma anymore. So in other words, he's trying to draw a parallel that the reason why she shouldn't be allowed or why Rabbi Natan's opinion doesn't make sense is one sort of that connection that brings extra kadusha is taken away. She's really not entitled to have truma anymore. We see this when a Kohen dies. So when the spouse dies, so why wouldn't that be true of the child? Ella, I'm a Rav Yosef. So Rav Yosef says, Kasava Rabbi Natan, Nisu'e Cheresh Machilim Betruma. Below Gazrina Nisu'e Cheresh, Atu Kidushe Cheresh. So Rav Yochanan holds that the marriage to a Cheresh, right? Who at one point had, you know, one point, let's say, was competent or had typical mental status when he married this wife, basically entitles her, right? That she's allowed to eat Truma. And we wouldn't sort of, you know, uh, issue, uh, we wouldn't issue a decree, right? Uh, we're not going to issue a decree against this wife uh, from eating truma through the marriage to a cheresh because of this uh, uh, of this case of kedushin to a, to a cheresh. In other words, even though the kedushin doesn't really take effect, right? The fact if they consummate that marriage, essentially the marriage does take effect, and actually she should be allowed uh, to eat truma. So even though there's a question about the, this Cohen's mental competence, can he really be married? But you know she's basically once that's consummated, she's allowed to have truma. So Abai replies back to this and says, So Abai asks a great question, and he basically says, okay. Why then do I need this case of giving birth to a son? If it's that once there's Kedushin, there's, you know, once there's, you know, nis, you know Kedushin or Nisuin, excuse me, I should say like a full marriage, and she's entitled to Yitruma, right? Even though maybe she should not have completed it with him. But once she did and went through with that Nisuin and that full Kedushin, she's allowed to continue to Yitruma. So Abai says, okay, then why do we need the case of having the son? And so the answer is, is that, uh, because of, you know, Mishum Rabbanan, to show that even in the case of the son, there's a machlokas between Rabbi Natan and the Chachamim. And then it goes on to say, the leaflog Rabbi Natan right? Okay, let Rabbi Natan disagree actually with the first clause, just this case of the son. Shavik Luhula Rabbanan Miltihu Plig Aluhu, right? So let the rabbis, so Rav Yosef basically says here, okay, let the rabbis, let, let uh, that Rabbi Natan left the rabbis until they finished their statement and then disagreed with them with their entire statement, right? So in other words, what he's saying is, is that, um, that uh, you know, the, the disagreement didn't come. He sort of like let the Chachamim finish what he wanted to say. And then he said, okay, I disagree with you with this, the case with, with, with the son. So then they say, okay, right? So then the question is, all right, so then why not teach Rabbi Natan's thing after his opinion, after the, uh, after the Chachamit? Why teach it beforehand, right? And so we finally say, uh, you know, Rabbi Natan, so we say Kasha. We say, this is a Kasha. We're actually not sure why it's taught like this. Now, they don't really resolve this well at all. But I think what's interesting here is this idea, which I've never thought of before, is, you know, truma, what, what is truma exactly? So truma is, you know, what we have to take off, all these srells have to take off and give as a gift to Kohanim, because Kohanim were not really, they didn't own any property. And, you, you know, you have to be in a certain state of, of 
aspect of uh, you have to be tahor in order to eat it. Um, and um, if it becomes tummy, you know, you burn it. You know, there's all these laws around truma. And so what they're asking is sort of a great question, which is what is the status of a woman, right? Who, um, you know, maybe has sort of lost her rights to eat truma, even though maybe she sort of had it. Like what, what happens in that type of flux? And, I, you know, I, I, there was something about this that sort of bothered me. Like, this is what she rely on to eat. And if she sort of was still associated with the kahuna sort of, you know, in that relationship in some way, because it doesn't say anything that once it becomes a cheresh, unless this was applied or, and you saw this somewhere, that they're no longer married. I sort of was left with the question of like, where is she getting her food from? Because presumably there was really just a lot of truma around there. So I found this passage to be a little bit uh, puzzling and not particularly protective of the body Israel here. Um, I'm not sure. It, it's not clear to me that if he becomes, whatever, if he becomes um, incompetent or whatever, I'm not. It's not clear to me that it, she is not then re-allowed to eat from the truma. It's not clear to me. I also want to just note that, and I find this, I've commented on this several times that the Gemara here is again kind of the precursor to the Mishnah that we're about that we're we weren't actually planning to read it I'm not going to read it inside but it's at the end of the daf here and it's really about exactly this meaning what happens when you've got an almana for a, to a coin godol or any of these people right you know what's the story with them and Truma and then it goes on to talk about people who are widowed or divorced and so on right if they were married to Kohanim and now they're disqualified because they're their spouse has died. What does that do for them in terms of their food? I, listen, also, I think every everybody who was allowed to eat from Truma also had other food that they could eat from because because otherwise they wouldn't have been able to eat any time they were tummy. So I, I I would I feel like there's a large piece of this Truma food puzzle that I I don't yet have a handle on. Put it that way. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, and I think you know we think of it as like the Kohanim have a special status. Look, a lot of this Masachet, I think, has made many of us question sort of how does Yibam work and maybe it's economic piece, right? Yeah, giving this deceased brother uh, a name, but it also protects the widow as well, who's left childless as well, right, through this brother and wouldn't be entitled to his inheritance or anything like that. So these these examples are interesting. And yeah, we'll get to more of this tomorrow because we'll read that Mishnah tomorrow. You know, in terms of like, it's probably an honor to have married, if you're about Yisrael, to marry a Kohen, but sort of the economic power they have through Truma seems to be tenuous. And that, I had never thought of that before. And that seems, you know, I, that seems scary to me. <laughs> yeah, I hear it. Okay, I'm going to read a less pleasant case that should be scary to everybody, except for hopefully it didn't really happen or not often. Um it's again one of these disturbing situations. I'm um I'm on I'm a bet somewhere in the middle of I'm a bet. I'm a rava, Ashit Kohen, Shina If you have there's a wife of a Kohen, right? And she's raped. Now, a Kohen is supposed to only ever be let's put it this way. I, I think of it as something that is special about the Kohuna is that the Kohen is not ever supposed to be um like the second choice, let's say. So he can marry a widow, right? Because he's died. The man has died. But he can't marry a divorcee because then that like, there's like a, 
a lack of respect, so to speak, because that man whose wife this woman had been is still around, and it kind of puts the Kohen. This is all philosophy, right? It's not. I'm not saying this is from the from the text, but it puts him on like a kind of a an imbalance. It puts the Kohen on a potentially the the ground where he could be sneered at let's say by the by the ex by the by the by the divorcee's ex-husband so in this case right we're talking about a couple that where he's a kohen she is raped i mean she's right raped by i don't know like you know the big bad guy it doesn't matter right but she's not supposed to then go back to her husband um, which is its own very, very complicated and disturbing halacha, of course. The problem is that then the, the Gemara here says that if in fact the couple does sleep together, meaning the Kohen and his wife go back to their marital bed, then he is supposed to get lashes um, because of her status has been compromised and she is now considered here, at least according to this particular position, um, a zona. Now, a zona is very often translated to be a prostitute. I would say that the term here is much broader than prostitution and even broader than promiscuity in that sense, right? Because here we're talking about somebody who, because of the status of having been raped, meaning she has now physically been intimate with another man and not by her own choice, um, and it makes her like, you know, puts her in a category where because she was with another man, he cannot, the Kohen husband cannot be with her. And again, I, I hypothesize that it's because he's with another man who is around and kicking, right? As opposed to a widow. Mishum zona in mishum tum'ah lo. Meaning, this is a question, right? Um, we're going to say that they can't be together because we have a concern about znut because of she's a zona. But are we going to say that there's no problem because of tum'ah? Right? Meaning, shouldn't it be the case? That as soon as the married woman, the married woman, this woman, has had marital intercourse with another man, that doesn't that then rend her ritually impure, and that alone should make her forbidden to her husband. Meaning, not the fact that he that she's been with a second man, but the fact that she's technically ritually impure. That should be enough, right? Um, but meaning that's the question. Like, why why are you focusing on the znut here? Ema asked mishum zona. So then the Gemara says, well, let's adjust Rava's position here to say that, you know, he would get Malkot, he would be flogged um, because of the prohibition with, he's rather, he's also flogged because of the concern about the Zona, meaning not just because of the Zona, rather also because of the ritual impurity, but also because of Zona. Mativ, I'm sorry, Mativ, Rabbi Zera. Excuse me. Rabbi Zaira says has a question here or an objection, right? Because there's a pasuk in the there's a verse in the book of Bamidbar, number, Numbers chapter five, about the sota, right? Where it says explicitly, she was not taken, meaning she's not asura ha nitpasa muteret, right? If she was not willingly committing adultery then she should be allowed to her husband, right? This is why the, the factor of rape being in the first scenario is so disturbing because, you know, it's not as if she stepped out on her husband. She should be allowed to go back to him because she never wanted to be with the second man. That's what rape is, right? According to Rabbi Zeir, that's the story with the Sota. 
And so the Gemara says, well, except for the fact that the very fact of this verse where it says, um, it says, um, vihi. What's vihi? Meaning that there seems to be like, and she. Once you've got and, you can like insert another potential case into that same verse. And one case where instead of it being permitted, we're permitted to return to her husband because she was raped. The, the it's one case where she would not be allowed to return to her husband, even though it was rape, namely Ashut Kohen. And that is our case, the wife of a Kohen. Um, and then the Gemara goes on, meaning this is a prohibition that really is rooted in a mitzvah aseh, a positive commandment. Namely, the whole reason, according to this, right, the whole reason that there's a prohibition um, against the Ashut Kohen that she cannot go back to her husband if she's been raped is because the Torah specifically talks about um, the fact that a wife of a Yisrael, right, not a Kohen, not a Levi, is indeed permitted in the case of rape. And what that means is that then the implication is that the if he's a Kohen, then she can't go back to him. And the whole point of that is that it's a it's a positive commandment. It's not is that she's allowed to go back. It's said positively. It's not a prohibition. But so then, and then of course the verse says, "But second, if it's a positive commandment that prevents them from being together, why are we talking about flogging? Why are we talking about malkot? Malkot is only in the case of a love, and there's a lot of technical details of when corporal punishment is going to kick in, and it generally has to do with things like there has to be an actual action, and there has to be a an articulated negative commandment. So Ra- Raba here answers, "Hakol hayu bechalzona, kisheparat lecha katuv gabe eshet." Yisrael, right? So that really, according to Rabbi, anybody who's had any kind of extramarital sexual intercourse is considered a zona, which is why I say we're talking about expanding the, the category far beyond prostitution, right? Anybody who's had any kind of affair, rape, whatever, right? Um, and then, and why? the This is specifically in the verse where it's talking about Asia Yisrael. We're talking about the wife of somebody who's an Israelite, not a Kohen, not a Levi. And that's the case where, you know, we say, and she wasn't, um, she wasn't forcibly, um, she wasn't, uh, she wasn't doing it intentionally, right? Um, But if she was forcibly taken, then she's allowed to go back to her husband. If she's forced, if there's, if there's force involved, if she's, if it's against her will. Um, so that we're talking about again that when we're talking about the wife of the Kohen, it says Dekaima Kaima. She remains as she was, meaning there's no loophole to say, you know what, go back to your, go back to your husband. That's allowed. In this case, there, it's kind of set up like everybody else gets the exception, and the Asha Kohen gets the standard, and the standard is no, you cannot go back to your husband, even though it was a matter of rape. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a very disturbing case, and we really can understand why this bothers people. Um, you know, <laughs> I think sort of some of the theme of this stuff is, you know, Kohanim are treated differently. Um, it Some of it is, you know, let's say the privilege piece is getting to eat truma. This is sort of a, I'm not even, and you're always better with the words. Like, I don't know. Is it negative? Like, is it the burden? Although the consequence really, I mean, well, the consequence on the woman and the man. But, you know, what does it mean to be that class in Jewish society, in the community of a Kohen, 
And we see it has some real ramifications, some of which are not particularly pleasant to the modern learner. If I may be so bold, one might draw the same distinction between, you know, the Jewish people and the rest of the world. And this is a right when we talk about B'nai Israel being a nation of priests. This is, I think, the exact it's the flip side of that. Right. Like on the one hand, isn't it great to be set apart and special and honored and da, 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 special relationship with God, whatever. And then sometimes that's a matter of persecution and uh, anti-Semitism and whatever. I'm obviously making a much more sweeping general statement here. But I think that this idea that the Kohen sometimes is in a privileged status and a status of responsibility and honor. And sometimes um, there's a, you know, there's a, a flip side to that. I think that kind of stands to reason. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us reviews and all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend e. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.